If you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you please open it to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I don't always like to do the same thing two weeks in a row. <laughs> of course, you know the next word already, don't you? But, yeah, that's right. Last week, we started the sermon by looking at some 2020 memes. If you watched online or on campus, perhaps you remember that. Uh, it turns out there's a whole subset of memes we never even touched on last week, and those are 2020 apocalypse memes. Have you seen these? The, the memes that, re, that suggest that perhaps 2020 is the end of the world. Okay, I mean, I just, get a, I just get a kick out of these. And so I just want to share three with you today. You may not find them funny, but if so, just laugh at me while I laugh at them and it'll be a great few moments here. So here's three 2020 apocalypse memes. Let's start with the first one. This is a, in two panels. The top says, corporate needs you to find the difference between this picture and this picture. And one picture says 2020 and the other is the globe exploding. And then Pam in the bottom panel says, they're the same picture. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I like it. Let's do the next one. I don't know a whole lot about WWE wrestling, um, but the, the wrestler in the foreground is laughing. I don't know if you can make that out. It says the world when 2012 ended and the apocalypse didn't happen. You remember that? The whole Mayan calendar into 2012 thing, we're all going to die. Well, the, the, the Undertaker is the wrestler in the background. He's looking rather fierce, and the caption above him, it says the dyslexic Mayan who meant to put 2021. <laughs> so I guess maybe the dyslexic Mayan will get the last laugh anyway, who knows. And then we've got one more, let's put that up. Tomorrow is the end of the world, and you see a major city being destroyed by fiery, you know, asteroids. What did you do tonight? answer with a meme, it says. Well, um, you can answer with a meme if you want, if you're online, but what I'd like for you to do is take a moment, and, and I realize some of you are sitting solo, no one around you, but if, if you're sitting nearby, close enough that you can turn to someone, um, what I want you to do is share with each other what are two things that you would do if you knew that today was the end of the world, that at, at midnight tonight... The world's done. What two things would you do today? Go ahead and, and turn and share with each other. If you're online, would you uh, type it in the comment section? And then in a minute or two here, we're gonna, I want to hear some responses. What two things would you do if you knew today was the last day of existence? Well, that was kind of fun. Uh, we've, we've been here back in this room, for those of you who are on campus, since Memorial Day. And I don't know that we've interacted that much in service, so it's kind of neat to be able to do that and to do that safely. It was fun to hear some laughter. I had intended to maybe read some of the comments that people online put, but my, uh, uh, for some reason the feed was interrupted on my phone. So if you happen to be watching the live stream, you're in the room, feel free to shout out anything you see there too. Um, but I'd like to hear what are some of the things you would do if today was indeed the end of time? Go skydiving? Fantastic. How'd Rhonda feel about that? It was her idea? Oh! I loved it. My wife's answer last night was, I'd eat dessert first. I've been living like that for my whole life. What else would you do if you knew today was the end of the, the world? Call my boys. Call my boys. Oh, sure. Go sentimental. No, that's fantastic. And that's probably true. We would. We'd start calling the people we love, and we'd try to squeeze in the last few minutes or conversation in the last few hours. What else would you do if you knew that this was the end of days? I'd buy a brand new car and I'd sign whatever they wanted me to sign. 
All right. There you go. And if you're going to go, go big. Like, so what would be your dream car? Anything, he, he, Steve would buy a new car, anything made in the last 20 years, and he'd pay whatever they wanted him to pay for it. There you go, MasterCard it and wait for the rapture, man. What else would you do? A couple last comments before we move on. What would you do if you knew today was the end of the world? Did you, what was that? Fantastic, spend time with family. Anybody else? Thank you, Donna. We, we would want to make sure that we're right with the Lord. I found this fascinating, a character from history, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, when asked what he would do if he knew the end were to come today, can you guess what he'd say? Here it was. He would plant a tree and pay his taxes. The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther. So it may be fun to think about these things. It may be fun to, cons- to spend conspiracy theory on lines or to make memes about the end of the world. Um, what's interesting, although none of us really knows when the Lord will return, even Jesus himself said, himself said, the Son doesn't know the time the Father has set. What's interesting is as we read the New Testament, what we're going to read today and pretty much every other New Testament writer takes the same posture Uh, is that the end is near. They all believed that they were living in the last days. The New Testament constantly sets itself up in that way. We are living in the last days. And so what we're going to do today, as we read today's passage, it starts out with Peter telling us that we're living in the last days. And then he goes on to give us four exhortations of what we should do because we're living in the last days. So as we read today's passage, actually before we read it, I'm going to tell you those four things. You can fill in the blanks if you want to on the notes. And then as we read through the passage, I'm going to pause as we go and just make a couple comments on the first three. And then after we're done with the passage, we're going to drill down into the fourth exhortation. Does that, or do you follow me? Do you understand where we're going here? Okay, so the end of days is near. The end of all things is near, Peter says. And so here's what he tells us to do. First of all, pray purposefully. Pray purposefully. Secondly, he says, love deeply. Because the end of all things is near, love deeply. Then he says, be joyfully hospitable. The end of all things is near, so be joyfully hospitable. And then number four, he says, exercise your gifts exercise your gifts. So there's the four things. Follow along with me as I read from 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. So there's the first thing. Paul says, uh, excuse me, not Paul, Peter, who wrote 1 Peter, tells us to be sober-minded and alert so that we can pray, so that we can pray on purpose. And we've been talking about prayer, right? The last series we did was about prayer, and we said time and time again that prayer isn't about getting things from God. Prayer is about aligning who we are with who he is, aligning our heart and our mind with God's heart and God's mind. And so Peter jumps right on that understanding of prayer and says, because it's a difficult time, because it's the, the end is coming, make sure that you're praying with purpose. 
He says, don't, uh, don't jump on bandwagons about what could be happening. Don't, you know, don't over-exaggerate things. He also says, be clear about what's going on around you. Don't underestimate things, but make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're aligning your heart, your will, your mind with God's, with, with eyes open to what's happening around you. Go to your heavenly Father in prayer. Verse 8, Peter writes, Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, Peter's writing to a people, and, and, and we can certainly fit ourselves into these shoes, that were experiencing hardship and things that they weren't used to, and, and, uh, and, and in their case, persecution and oppression. The days were long and difficult, and, and in days that are long and difficult, when hardship seems to be what marks your experience, family relationships, business connection, church relationships, social relationships, all those things become difficult to maintain in a, in a healthy, positive way, right? Hardship, difficult times phrase those relationships. It tests the relationships. It pushes us right up to the limit of the relationship, and that can be difficult. It's hard. It's hard to love each other in difficult days. But Paul says, love each other deeply. Because like a bandage, like a security blanket, like an umbrella, love covers over the times we bump against each other. Love covers over the, the, uh, the wrongs that we say to each other, the unintentional hurts that hard times unleash in us. Verse 9, Peter says, offer hospi hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, he could have stopped at one another, right? He could have said, you know, just be hospitable, but he doesn't. He goes to the next step and says, without grumbling, because he seems to know us. What's your tendency? What's your tendency when you know, if you knew that things were coming to the end, what would you do? We heard a lot of people say it, like, um, I'd pull my family in close. I'd, I'd call my kids. I'd spend my time with my family. And we all have a tendency, if we know things are coming to the end, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. It could be the end of uh, our time at a workplace. It could be into the end of our time at a church. We all have this tendency to huddle in close. And Peter says, don't do that. If you know that the end is near, open up. Offer hospitality to others. Welcome others in. Help them to experience God's grace through your hospitality. And do it joyfully. Not because you have to but because you get to, because you can leverage what God has given you to bless others. And in the end, that could make a huge difference. That's what it means to love deeply. That's what it means to align yourself with who God is. Number four in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then in verse 11, he's going to tease that out. So for example, one kind of gift is a speaking gift. So if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Another kind of gift is a serving gift. So if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. 
And all God's people said, amen. So Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, he tells us four things to do. What are they? Let me hear you say them. Raise your voice. Pray purposefully. Love deeply. Yep, be joyfully hospitable. And number four, exercise your gifts. Fantastic. So over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to drill down in to number four. We've spent some time talking about prayer. Uh, what we want to do is jump to the end of this now. We want to we drill down into exercising your gifts. So today what we're going to do is start this series by noting a few key things, a few key insights that Peter has about this idea of uh, using whatever gift that we've been given. So let's start right at the top. The first thing Peter, Peter tells us is that every Christian has been given a gift. Every Christian has been given a gift. This is fairly unambiguous. Notice again, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received, right? So everybody, has, every Christian has received some kind of spiritual gift. So if every Christian, every follower of Christ has received a spiritual gift, then raise a hand in the air and show me the universal signal for how many Christians do not have a spiritual gift. Or if you're watching online, type it in the chat. Some of you are getting it. Like, come on, Pastor Earl, this is really elementary. You just told us that everyone has a gift. Every Christian has a gift. So that means zero is the universal signal. Thank you for those of you who played along. For those of you who are glaring at me like I'm thick, you're probably right. But here's the deal. Do we really live that? Do we really behave as if we've been gifted by God? Do we really carry ourselves? Do we really uh, uh, take on ministries, take on service opportunities, knowing that as a follower of Christ, God has given me a gift? Peter tells us that every Christian has been given a gift. That means that God has given you, follower of Christ, whatever your name, whatever your age, whatever your gender, whatever your background, whatever your whatever, God has given you a gift, and he wants you to use it. Which leads us to the, uh, the next couple things that Peter says here. Not only has every Christian been given a gift, but God has gifted you out of his grace. God has gifted you out of his grace. Now, Peter uses an interesting word here in verse 10 as he talks about this gift that each believer has received. And, and, and for some, it's more than one gift. For, uh, for some, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're still discovering our gifts. But he uses a specific word. It's not the same word that the New Testament uses, for example, when it talks about the Magi bringing gifts to toddler Jesus. Different, different word. It's not the same word that John uses when Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that stands before you, you would ask him for it. Not the same word, different word for gift. The, the word that Peter uses here in the Greek is the word charisma, or we would say in English, charisma. You're familiar with that word. You've heard it before, right? Charisma. Well, you see, the New Testament word for grace is the word charis. And so as Peter talks about this giftedness that each believer has received from Jesus Christ, he's talking about a gift that God in his generous grace has given to us. Now don't be confused and don't stop short. We know 
that salvation, that we can be saved because of God's grace. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. You see, Peter is, is, is cluing us into, and so are the other writers in the New Testament, by the way, who talk about spiritual gifts. You can jot these on your notes or in your margin if you want. Four places the New Testament talks at some length about spiritual gifts. First Peter 4, this works really well. The Holy Spirit did this very well. Ephesians 4, and then we've got 1 Corinthians 12. Anyone, anybody want to guess the chapter in Romans? Romans 12, there you go. So all the places that talk about this charisma, this spiritual gift, what the writers are reminding us is that by God's grace we've been saved, but that's not the end of God's work in our life. He doesn't give us salvation and then expect us to figure out how to live in a way that pleases him all on our own. Instead, God in his magnificent grace continues to bestow upon us grace upon grace. And one of those graces is this sense of a, a gift, a, an ability that we can live in in a way that pleases God, a, an empowerment to do things with God and for God that bring him glory. And so he's given us, all believers, a gift, right? Every believer has a gift. Zero believers don't have a gift. And he's given that to us out of his grace. Why? Why? It says right here in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift, whatever charisma you have received to serve others. God has planted in you a spiritual gift, another demonstration, another expression of his grace, not just so you can be sure that you've received salvation, and, and certainly not so that you can grow proud about now what you can do and the way that you can serve God and you can strut your stuff. Instead, God's given you a spiritual gift so that you can share his grace with others. So that you can share his grace with others. God has graced you with a gift of grace so that you can grace others with the grace God has given you. And all the graces in the room said, that's a lot of my name. Okay, someone's following along. So actually, um, Peter here, when he says, um, use the gift you've received to serve others, that word serve uh, is the same word from where we get our English word deacon. Okay, so if you've read scripture before and been in scripture a while, you begin to hear uh, that word deacon. That, that appears other places. Deacon seems to be this office in the church. It's, it's uh, leaders in the church are deacons. Matter of fact, uh, in our stream of faith, in the way we've done church, deacons are often these boards of super spiritual men and women who have incredible insights from God. They probably spend 22 hours a day praying. When they speak, wisdom flows off of their tongue. And so they are deacons or deaconesses, which is not at all the New Testament view of a deacon. In the New Testament, a deacon is someone who serves, that's the word here in 1 Peter, serves God using their charisma, the gifts that God has given them to serve. As a matter of fact, when the, first, when the word first appears, when the church office is coined, it's in the book of Acts, and that's exactly what they look for. 
They don't look for super spiritual men who have esoteric experiences on a mountaintop somewhere. They look for men who have very clearly been gifted by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and who are operating out of that giftedness. So we've been given a gift by God's grace so that in serving others, we can share with them God's grace. And then Peter also tells us that um, your gift belongs to the Spirit and to the church. Your gift belongs to the Spirit and the church. So the temptation would be to say, well, this is my spiritual gift, like this is my sports coat, right? But it's not like that. It's not your spiritual gift like this is my sports coat. It's your spiritual gift like this is, this is my preaching table. Now, this isn't my preaching table. I didn't buy this preaching table. When I go home each Sunday, I don't take my preaching table with me, right? Like, you know, in 50 years or whenever, when, when you guys are tired of me and you send me packing, I'm not taking my preaching table with me, okay? This isn't my preaching table in that sense. This is the church's preaching table. Are you following me? This belongs to the church. I use it to carry out my responsibilities here. And when other people come in, I gladly share with them the preaching table. So it's mine only insofar as I've been given this table to use. It's at my disposal to do what I've asked, been asked to do. Well, it's the same thing with spiritual gifts. Notice again what Peter says in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift, whatever charisma you have been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. So you've received a spiritual gift. God wants you to exercise it. And when you do that, you're actually stewarding it. So what's a steward? What is a steward? A steward is someone who manages another person's resources, not thinking that they belong to the steward. So for example, farmers often think of themselves as stewards of the land. I mean, they may own the land in, 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 proper, you know, in, in modern ownership terms, but they don't view it as their land. They're stewarding the resources of the land. Or money managers steward other people's money to make it grow so that, that you know, the person who's entrusted them has what they need when they need it. Or uh, another example, last Sunday, my son and I watched the movie um, Batman Begins. And in that movie, we see Bruce Wayne's uh, butler, Alfred, steward the family property and the family name and reputation while Bruce Wayne is missing in action and presumed dead. So a steward is someone who manages something that is not their own, in a sense as if it were their own, but not being confused, not thinking it's theirs, and, and, and not presuming that, that it'll be in their management forever. And so Peter tells us that that's how we should consider our spiritual gift. We should faithfully steward it because although it's our spiritual gift, it doesn't belong to us. It actually belongs to the Spirit of God, right? He's the one that gives us the gifts, and he gives us the gifts that he gives us so that we can glorify him so that we can work and minister not just for God, but with God. And so when we use the gifts that the Spirit has given us, we don't get to choose how we use it. We use our gifts under his oversight. He's the one in charge. 
But not only do, do, do our spiritual gifts, my spiritual gifts, your spiritual gifts, not only do they belong to the Spirit of God, but they belong to the body of Christ. Or we would say to the church. You see, God has given each of us spiritual gifts so that we can build up the church. And that'll become clear in some of the other spiritual gift passages. It, it doesn't ring out as clearly here, but Ephesians 4, for example, it definitely does. That's the whole reason God gave, God gave gifts, is to build up the church as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. And so there's this sense that, yes, I have spiritual gifts, and yes, they're my spiritual gifts, but if I'm going to faithfully steward them, I do that within the context of my local church. So when my church has a need that I've been gifted to address, it's my privilege, it's my honor, it's my responsibility, it's my obligation to leverage my gifts to address those needs. This is one of the most crucial keys for healthy, effective churches. It cannot be just the staff doing the work of the ministry. Healthy, effective churches realize that God has gifted every believer and that it's going to take every believer to accomplish the mission of the church. It's, it's not just the paid staff and the ordained pastors who disciple people, who reach out to people, who help people uh, you know, take their next steps with Jesus Christ. The more people that get involved, the more people that are using their spiritual gifts, the healthier and more effective the church, the church is. All right, so what's Peter told us so far in verse 10? Every Christian has been given a gift. That gift comes out of God's grace so that you can share God's grace with others. And the gift belongs to the Spirit and to the church. Notice the one last thing that Peter tells us here in verse 10. God's gracious gifts come in various shapes. Again, listen to verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So this is Peter's way of reminding us that God's grace doesn't just come at or lead us to or through salvation. God's grace isn't just about this spiritual gift, this charisma that, that each Christian has received. God's grace comes to us in many ways. And God's desire for us to share his grace with others is expressed in our lives in many, he says, forms. We might say ways, shapes, or forms. So over the course of this series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the various shapes that God has given us. Shape is an acronym. This stands for spiritual gifts, heart passions, abilities, personality and temperament, and experiences. And those are on the screen. For those of you writing those down, I move through those quickly. What we're going to find as we work through this series that the Scripture teaches very clear. I already told you four passages where Scripture kind of gives us a, a theology, if you will, of spiritual gifts. And then it gives us examples and illustrations of the, the other ways that God gives us grace through the, through the things that move our heart and that we're passionate about through the abilities that God has given uh, you know, in, throughout the course of our life that have been cultivated in us, through our personality and 
temperament. We'll see illustrations of how that impacts the ministry a person has. And then through our experiences, we'll actually read a little bit of teaching about how our experiences shape what God wants to do in us and through us to share his grace with other people. So as we get ready to launch into this series, what I'd like to do, the goal of today is to encourage you to position yourself to grow through this series. I want to encourage you to position your heart and your mind and your will so that as we walk through the the different shapes that God has given us, that we can together continue growing in the image of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you three questions that I think as you spend some time with will help position you for that. Number one, do I know my shape and how God wants to use it to express his grace to others? Do I know my shape and how God wants to use it? And I'm not talking about um, static, you know, static knowledge. Like, yeah, pastor, uh, I took a spiritual gifts inventory. I know what my spiritual gifts are. Or, or yeah, pastor, I've done this shape thing before. I, I understand my shape and each of those ingredients and, and I get it. I'm not talking about do you, do you just know? Do you have the information? I'm talking about are we growing together in our understanding of how God wants to work in us and through us? Quite frankly, knowing my spiritual gifts doesn't mean no good if I'm not using them, right? Understanding how God wants to use my experiences to, to, to share his grace with others through me, it doesn't mean no good if I'm not actually allowing him to do that or partnering with him. We're talking about a dynamic knowledge. Am I growing in that? And am I growing in that knowledge by doing that? And so here's what I wonder. As you think about that this week, as you think about, do I know my shape? Do I know my spiritual gifts? Do I know what I'm passionate about, what my heart is passionate about? Do I, do I know what abilities I have that God can use? Do I understand my personality and temperament? Have I thought through what experiences God may be wanting to use and redeem to bless? As you think through those things, would you be willing to shoot me an email? And just say, Pastor, here's some of the things that I think God is or would like to work through me, some, some, some you know, gifts, some, some part of the shape that he's given me. I'd, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to know where you're at. Some of us have had those conversations, but um, I'd, I'd love to hear where you're at. Just send me an email, earl at beulachurch.com. That'd be fantastic. And if you're sitting here going, I have no idea. I, like, I don't know what my spiritual gift, I don't even know what that means. That was, a, that was an interesting sermon, but whoop, I, I don't get it or my shape, like I've never thought about it like that, send me that email too. I'd love to know that. I'd love to know where you're confused or, or stuck so that maybe, um, you know, one-on-one or through the course of the series, I can help you with that. Number two, am I faithfully stewarding my shape by using it to help our church serve others? Am I faithfully stewarding my shape? Some of you have heard me tell the story before of when I was in high school and my family left the church that I'd grown up in. My parents were married there, I think they were born there. I mean, and I was born there. And uh, in the middle of high school, dad, decide, dad and mom decided it's time to leave. And so as we began looking for a new church, there's conversations in our family of six about where we're going to go. And of course, we all have different ideas and then different places we want to go and try. And, and dad says this at one point. He says, there is a church out there who needs what our family has to offer. Now, honestly, as a teenager... I thought that was code. I thought that was dad speak for saying, we're going to go where I want to go, deal with it. It wasn't, as it turns out. But the older I've gotten, the more faith has matured in me, the more I've realized 
Dad was right on with that. You see, we don't come to churches because of what they offer us, or we shouldn't. A lot of people do, but we shouldn't come to a church or stay at a church based on what it does for me and how I feel about it. God's design, God's desire, each of you has been given a gift that you can use to serve others in the local church. And so the question is, if I understand my shape, if I'm growing in the understanding of my shape, am I using that? And we're in the context of Beulah Missionary Church, right? Am I using that at Beulah Missionary Church to serve others, to help the church continue to make big Christians and to reach out into the community and to grow Christians up in the image of Jesus Christ? Number three, what is one way I could use my shape to serve others in and through our church? What's one way that I could use my shape to serve others in and through our church? And am I doing that? Now, some of you for sure are using your spiritual gifts, your shape, to serve others in our church. And I am so thankful for that. There's so much that by God's grace we're doing that we could not do without people who have said, this is how God's gifted me. And I'm thrilled to use my gifts in this way. Some of you are serving perhaps joyfully, but if you're to be honest, you would say, I'm not quite humming along on all cylinders. I think God has put something else in me that he wants me to use uh, to share his grace with others. I haven't really explored that, or, or I have and it didn't go well, so I'm not doing it now, or whatever the case may be. And some of you, um, you're new to your faith, and so this is all new ideas for you. Or you've been in your faith a really long time, and you think you're nearing the end of your race, and so maybe God doesn't really have anything for me to do anymore because I've done my part and it's hard and I'm, I'm tired and my body isn't, I mean, just those things. And so you've kind of unplugged from serving. And some of you are in seasons of hardship and pain and suffering and, and fighting medical diagnoses and, and all kinds of things wrapped up in hardship. And, and you're just, it's just hard to know how to serve. And so here's what I'm going to ask as you think about this third question. Am, is there something that I'm doing to use my shape to serve others? Could I, could I encourage you, if you're stuck, if you feel like you are, but there could be more, or if you feel like I'm not, and I know why or I don't know why, could you share that with me? Not just so I can plug you into a ministry somewhere, but because I care about you. And as your pastor, my desire is that you would continue to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. And as we read here in Peter, this is so significant. God has gifted you out of his grace so that you can share his grace with others. And as you exercise your gifts, you're faithfully stewarding what God has given you. And when you do that, you grow in leaps and bounds with Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for you. That's what all of our pastors want for you. So if you feel stuck or you don't really know how to take the next step, for sure, let's talk. Anytime, this week or throughout this series, let's talk about it. Pull me aside. Send me an email. Give me a text message. Give me a call and say, hey, could we meet for drinks? And we'll do that in a, in a socially responsible way. And, and uh, I want to help you through that. Beloved, every follower of Christ has been shaped by God. 
to, so that we can live in his grace and we can share his grace with others. I hope as we launch into this series, I hope you'll take this week and begin to ask these questions and meditate on these and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you through thinking on them. Am I faithfully stewarding the shape that God has given me? And then as we walk through this series, my prayer for you is that you won't just hear teaching, you won't just fill in blanks, but as the Holy Spirit prompts you, you'll take a step out and you'll begin to learn and understand more and to put your gifts, your shape into practice. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the tact that Peter took here. It, it, it was, it was eye-opening for me this week to sit and read that, hey, the end of the world is coming, so uh, use your spiritual gifts. But Father, I thank you for the wisdom that Peter offers. Thank you for the guidance of your spirit that <clears throat> whether we have a, a million days, a thousand days, a hundred days, or one day, we want to offer others the grace you have given us. Would you help us to be people who do that, who use whatever gift we have received to share your grace with others? Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we ask, would you grow us and stretch us and, and to help us to live in this way? Amen.